New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. We at New Dimensions thank you for your support. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. Today I'm hosting Pam Houston. She's the author of Deep Creek, Finding Hope in the High Country. Pam, welcome to the New Dimensions Cafe. Thank you, Justine. You know, you've been a vagabond adventurer for most of your 20s. And then at some point, you bought a 120-acre ranch in a remote part of the southwest of Colorado. There's a story there. (laughs) You were 31 years old when you kind of got off the trail and hunkered down. So tell us a bit of what moved you to do that. Well, sometimes I think we do things that we don't understand. (laughs) And this was one of those times. I had sold my first book. And I hadn't sold it for very much money, $21,000 to be exact. But my agent, when she gave me the check, she said, don't spend it all on hiking boots. And I had been a vagabond. I was living in my car. I was living in my North Face VE24 tent. I had a job as a wilderness guide. I was a whitewater river guide. I was a doll sheep hunting guide in Alaska. I kind of moved with the seasons. I thought I would be happy doing that forever. But when my agent said, don't spend it all on hiking boots, for whatever set of reasons, I got serious about looking for a piece of land that I could use that money to purchase that would, if not immediately, one day become my place in the world. And you describe in this book, Deep Creek, how the land... Did it heal you, mothered you, mentored you? Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, you thought that you were going to be taking care of the land. But you really describe how the land took care of you. What, What do you mean by that? Well, I grew up in a home that was very unsafe. I was a child of alcoholics. I was, uh, I grew up in a very violent home. I found my saviors in my childhood that got me out, and I'm grateful to them. Um, got me through and got me out occasionally. But I had never had a place where I felt safe, where I felt held, where I felt comforted, you know, just by being there. Now, a 120-acre ranch at 9,000 feet is not a gentle place. (laughs) It's, It's not a cradle. You know, there's fire and flood and bears and mountain lions, and there's a lot of drama (laughs) at 9,000 feet. The UV rays eat everything. The 35 below zero freezes everything. You know, things break. However, for me, those sort of challenges were finite and consistent and easy to understand. I fell in love with the rhythms of the seasons. You know, you have to have your hay in the barn by the end of September. You have to have four cords of wood on the porch by the end of October. The ranch asked a lot of me, but when I did it, everything went fine. And that was never true about my childhood. So you use the word consistency Mm. and you have these routines. And I think you describe at some point in the book, 
how it's important to do things the same way over and over because that's when you will notice that something is amiss. Describe that. Absolutely true. The first and best thing I've learned taking care of animals is I have to feed the same way every day. And what I mean by that is I go fill the horse water trough first, then I unlatch the corral gate. Then I get the hay for the sheep. Then I get the hay for the horses. Then I relatch the corral gate. Then I go into the chicken coop. You know, you have to relatch every latch you open. You have to do things in the exact same pattern every day because that's when you notice a change. You'll notice if someone's sick, my horse water has a heater in it because, of course, it would freeze solid for basically the whole winter if it didn't. And I don't have to top that trough off every day. I I only have two horses and they don't drink that much. But sure as I don't check it, that'll be the day the heater breaks. So it's really a practice, just like any practice, of going around and looking at every single thing I look at every day to make sure one sheep isn't eating or a mouse that might have hantavirus hasn't crawled into the horse grain or there's not a limping chicken or everybody's laying in a reasonable order, in a reasonable pattern. You know, there's just so many things that signal a problem when you're raising animals. And if you do everything in exactly the same way every day, you're going to notice the change. And your animals will also tell you when something is amiss. They will indeed. (laughs) So if you would please describe maybe something like an instance of that. Well, one time I went away for just a few hours down to the valley where I buy all my animal supplies. And I had left the dogs inside, the horses and donkeys in the yard, and the sheep in their pen. And the donkeys were new at that time. I have too many donkeys that are wonderful comedians. And the dogs and the donkeys weren't quite getting along yet. And I was hoping to make it so they could coexist in the yard, that they could all be together. But there was some chasing back and forth. So I left the dogs inside and I left the donkeys outside. And the dogs are actually taller than the donkeys because they're Irish wolfhounds. The dogs are Irish wolfhounds and they're a little bit taller than the mini donkeys. So I came home and my Pasifino, my horse, Deseo, was running the fence line and winning and winning and winning. And he's kind of my alarm clock. So I thought maybe somebody was dead. So I go flying up the driveway to see what's wrong. And I count all the animals and everybody's fine. But the donkeys have been angrier than I thought at the dogs for chasing them. And there's a big dog porch that you walk across when you go into the house and it's where the dogs they're allowed to go inside, but it's where they hang out outside. It's where they eat. It's where a bunch of beds are. And those donkeys had clip-clopped up the stairs, three stairs onto that dog porch. And they had taken a dump on everything on that dog porch. They had defecated (laughs) on uh, the dog beds inside a cooler that was open uh, in the dog bowls. They had picked up the dog beds with their teeth and flung them off the dog porch. This is what I mean when I say donkeys are very smart. They had created utter havoc on the dog porch as a protest of the dogs (laughs) chasing them and And nowhere else. 
And the horses knew it. The horses knew it. And the horse was saying, oh, she's going to see what happened to the dog porch. And I mean, it was a lesson in donkey intelligence. And from then on, they got their own space. There was no more <laughs> cohabitating of the dogs and the donkeys. Oh, wonderful. Oh, wonderful. Not so great, wonderful cleaning <laughs> it up, but oh, my gosh. Well, you know, you also describe many times, you know, there's that Beatles song with a little help from our friends. Right. You have had people in that little town. I... What what did the sign say entering the town? There are uh, um, five hundred seventeen nice folks and thirteen sore heads. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's the, when you enter the town. That's what it says. It's so lovely. I mean, just like okay, but there are just people just holding each other in community and. You know, you may have all sorts of different stripes politically or or every other way. You're different ages. You're different everything. And here you are knowing you depend on each other. Absolutely. You know, it's an extreme place. There's extreme blizzards. There's extreme temperatures. We've had fire. We've had floods. And I went there not even knowing that hot water didn't just come out of the wall when you turned the faucet on. So I was so dedicated to making friends and making connections in town. And people have been so lovely to me. I mean, they think it's weird that I'm out there by myself and trying to do all these things. And they're amazed at what I don't know. (laughs) But I'm game to try. And if they teach me how to fix something, then I can fix it next time. And, And so, yeah, I mean, my hay guy, you know, my wood guy, the veterinarian, so many of my neighbors have bailed me out over and over again. And and it is a good town that way. People Mm -hmm. take care of each other. Now, one of the things that I notice about you in particular on this particular piece of land, Pam, you hold the history of this land. You've looked up the history of this land. This land was homesteaded by the Pinkleys, and they're buried on this land. That's just like you are rooted in this, even though you're not related. You are related by the very fact that you hold this history. Can you say something about that, please? Sure. So the, the Pinkley family homesteaded the ranch, you know, more than 100 years ago. And Bob Pinkley in particular, who was the son of the man who filed the claim, came to the ranch when he was just a very young boy and lived his entire life on it and died on it and is buried on it. And his father, too, is buried on it. And his sister, his big sister, was actually the one who proved up, who got the claim, who satisfied the claim. So it was proved up, meaning it was really built, the structures were built or or something by this woman. So it has a history of powerful women here. (laughs) It's true. And... A lot of people who have come to the ranch have had an encounter with the ghost of Bob, and I have not, and I'm quite open to such a thing, Um, (laughs) but he doesn't speak to me, but he's spoken to several of my friends, some who are talented that way and some who just aren't. They were like, oh, this guy came in the middle of the night, I had the weirdest dream, you know. So Bob is uh, around and his cabin is where I write now and where I finished the book. I had to fix it up. I left it alone for the first 22 years because I just 
felt it was his space. It's a, you know, very small cabin that's been on the property since the beginning, and I didn't want to mess with him. I didn't want to mess with his space. But if eventually I knew if I didn't shore it up, it was going to fall down. So I got somebody who was really dedicated to the old buildings, and he fixed it up for me. And when I asked my friend who communicates with lots of spirits, I said, well, what does Bob think of the renovation? Because I was so worried about it. And my friend said, oh, you know, he sees it the old way. He sees it how it was, uh, which I thought was sort of a beautiful thing, if true. However, <laughs> I want to tell you, Pam, Bob has spoken to you. Yeah. And he spoke to you when doing that renovation, you got kind of like pulled oh, up the, the floor. And yes, you know yeah. what I'm going to say, because <laughs> you found in some some sign that he loved belted kingfishers. It's true. And you and, do too. So and I, I love belted kingfishers. Belted kingfishers are sort of my talisman wherever I am. If I see a belted kingfisher, I think it's going to be okay. It's going to be a good day. They, they're, my, they're my angels. And when we pulled up the floor of the cabin, we found many of Bob's possessions. We found, you know, straight razors and harmonicas and forks and a stopwatch and combs, lots of physical objects. Almost all of the paper was just destroyed by rats and time. Um, but there were three sort of pictures, three pieces of what you might call art that were preserved. You know, they were wrapped up in something to protect them. And they were all three pictures of belted kingfishers, you know, and they were just, you know, things he would have found. One came from a, a can of, of tobacco. One came from a package of fishing line. And one must have come from like a, a bird book or a National Geographic or something because it was a much lovelier rendition. But the only thing he kept, the only images he kept were belted kingfishers. I had to look up belted kingfisher once I read that and looked up the, the bird itself. And it's such a precious bird yeah. with its top hat. It reminded me of the fawns or something, the <laughs> right. way he it has this like stand-up hair in the, in, in the front like some, I don't know, 1950s like, guy. Punk rocker punk, or something. Power yeah. punk rocker that yeah. has this, and it's just with his chest kind of puffed out. And, and his tie. And his, his black tie, tie. Black tie. Yeah. He just, just. So what do you love about kingfishers? I just, I love their call. I love the way they fly. I, when I was a river guide and, you know, they, what they do is they'll travel down the river with you. They'll sit on the bank and then they'll fly to a tree and then they'll, they'll often follow you down the river because I think probably the boats push up bugs or something. But uh, I always just thought uh, kingfisher on the river, just the, the swoopy nature of their flying and just they have a very distinct flight pattern. You can't mistake them for anything else. And just their color and their attitude, you know, they're like a little bird with a, I mean, not so little, but a, a smallish water bird with a big attitude, right? And so whenever I would see them on the river, especially above a rapid, I would think that was a good sign for us getting through the rapid safely. And I don't know how it started. I just fell for them. Well, I just think that that's so lovely. And I just encourage any of us to find that piece of nature, whether it's a, a tree or whether it's an, an animal like that or a bird, even in the city, 
you know, right, to, sure. to let it mentor you and let it be your guide, let it be your talisman or right. something, your good luck charm or your little angel. Right. Yeah. Pam, I want to thank you so much for being with us on the New Dimensions Cafe today. It's been my pleasure. It's been my pleasure as well. I've been speaking with Pam Houston. She's also a teacher of writing, and if you want to look up her many books, including this one, Deep Creek, Finding Hope in the High Country, you can find all of them on her website, pamhouston.net. Or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. So I encourage you to look that up and pick up a copy of this book. You're going to love it. (laughs) I don't often say that, but this time I'm just going to give it a plug, say, do it. I'm Justine Willis-Toms, and I want to thank you for joining us at the New Dimensions Cafe. And I invite you to please do join us again. You've been listening to the New Dimensions Cafe. This series of shorter interviews features many of the remarkable guests also featured on our internationally syndicated one-hour New Dimensions radio series. To access more than a thousand hours of programs, to subscribe to our newsletters, or to become a member, please visit us at newdimensions.org. New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. We at New Dimensions thank you for your support.